Exodus 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptian and of Pharaoh, who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. And now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around with him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around, stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach him... Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand with the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. Difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is the reading of the Lord.
Thanks, Tyler. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, please get one. They're actually um, in the back and open it up to chapter 18 as we continue the series through Exodus. But let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for saving us, for our salvation through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we now pray that you would teach us your word, that you would teach us what it means to be a people who have been saved by your Son, that we we might live to glorify, uh, glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Changing identity is not easy. When I first moved to the U.S., I didn't like being called Hugh because nobody could pronounce Hugh. Everybody said a version of Hugh, no, or he, woo, um, spell it out for me, how do you say that again? Um, just so you know, once again, um, if you don't know how to pronounce my name, it's he, woo. There is no W in Korean, so it's just he, woo. It's two distinct syllables, he, woo, but no W. But I did grow up Anglican, and uh, in Korea, in the Anglican Church of Korea, when you're baptized, you were given a Christian name, and my Christian name was Daniel. And so the second day of school, I went and I started to go, my name is Daniel. I was no longer Hugh, but Daniel, the American. But of course, becoming an American isn't as easy as just changing names, is it? In many years' time, I also got my citizenship. I gradually became more comfortable with English and uh, Thanksgiving and Independence Day, the traditions. Gradually, I did become more and more American, though you can't take the Korean out of me. And this chapter... It it doesn't feel like it, but this chapter is about changing of identity. It's about the Israelites becoming from a disorganized slaves, a group of slaves, to actually take on a different identity, uh, identity uh, as as a rescued people, as a people of God. It's about who makes up God's people, how they are to live, and why that is so important. The story of becoming God's people opens with an interesting character, Jethro, who's not a Jew in verse 1. He's introduced to us as the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses. He had heard of everything that God had done through Israel. And he brought his uh, Moses' wife, Zipporah, and his two sons, Moses' two sons, to Moses, now that Moses is safely out of Egypt. But that story isn't actually about a story of a family reunion because we don't hear of Zipporah and of his sons at all throughout the story. You see, this story is about story of evangelism. Story of evangelism. And who make up uh, uh, evangelism and conversion and who make up uh, God's people. After Moses greets Jethro in verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about everything that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and the, uh, and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they had met along the way and how Yahweh had saved them. Moses tells his father-in-law 
the first thing that he does is he greets him, but then also then starts telling him about everything that God had done through him and in the life of Israel. God's deliverance. He's giving his testimony. He's telling him, uh, Jethro, about what God had done. And Jethro receives uh, this with great delight. Verse 9, Jethro was delighted for all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel. It's not just that he thinks that this is an exciting story. Maybe it answers some of the questions that he had about God, Yahweh God, about the true God that he wants to worship. And he converts. I mean, it makes sense, right? He sees, Jethro comes and sees the victory. He sees the Israelites there with him, delivered out of Egypt. And not only that, the story before in chapter 17, there was a defeat of Amalekites. How God in his power defeated the Amalekites. Not only that, he might, he must have, he might have eaten the manna, uh, the, the bread from heaven, and so he converts. Verse 10, he praises Yahweh God. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. He then burns a sacrifice and eats a covenant, a covenantal meal with Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel. He converts. And that's a surprise, isn't it? Because Jethro is a priest of Midian. In the previous chapter, we saw how God defeated the Amalekites. And you might have assumed that Yahweh God is tribalistic and favors Jews only. But that's not so. You see, that had nothing to do with the race. Amalekites were defeated because they didn't recognize Yahweh God as the true God, as the God. And attacking them was attacking him. And we need to get this right, that Yahweh is not only the God of the Jews. He is the God of all people on earth. And anyone who recognizes him and turns to him as his or her Lord will be saved. And you knew that because when Israel came out of Egypt, it wasn't just the Israelites that came out. It was many other people with them. In chapter 12, verse 37, many other people came out with him, all who saw Yahweh's might and said, actually, this is the God that I need to worship, came out with Israel. They became part of Israel. They became part of God's people. That's why when Moses meets Jethro after all those years, he tells Jethro about Yahweh God so that Jethro might become part of God's people. And that's the reason why we ought to tell others about Christ. Because Jesus Christ is Lord of all people, whether they recognize it or not. I know it's hard to do this, hard to tell others about Jesus. But we have news of a rescue that's far greater, actually, than the rescue of, the Egypt, uh, of Israel out of Egypt. We have a story of God's Son becoming a human being, living and dying for our sins and rising up again and telling us that actually if we put our faith in Him, that we will rise again with Him, that we would rule with Him in the new creation. That's the story. That's the amazing story that we have, that we're saved from God's righteous judgment and death and raised to new life in Christ. If we always stay in our comfort zone and never share the gospel, we'll never have the joy of leading somebody to Christ. And if we do, you might get turned down. You might sometimes create an awkward situation for you. 
But if we don't think we have a story that's worth telling, that's worth forgetting about all that and worth telling others, then actually you don't know the gospel story. You don't know the Christian story. You don't know that this is the greatest news that for me and for anyone uh, could have. We share. Because anyone can be included in God's kingdom as we share this story, as people turn to Christ. But coming to know the rescue story isn't the end. Sharing that isn't the end. In fact, being rescued is only the beginning, as we see in Israel's life. If we have been rescued, we must also learn to live as God's people. Changing my name to Daniel wasn't the end of me becoming an American. And Israelites were the same. They had been rescued. But after 400 years of their life in Egypt, they're really more like Egyptian, Egyptians than anything else. They had stories of their distant ancestors like Abraham and others. But they didn't have the law. They didn't have the traditions. They didn't have the Bible with them yet. They were more Egyptians than anything else, and they needed to learn to be, become God's people. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. I'm a little ashamed to say, actually, I, read, I wrote a, a whole Bible study once in my life, uh, back from chapter 18, verse 13 and on, about how this, is, this story is about teamwork, and how it's not good to work alone. On the surface, and that's what the story sounds like, right? Because uh, Moses is working as a judge from morning all the way till the, uh, till the night. And Jethro sees this and says in verse 18, you can't handle it alone. He then advises Moses to select capable people uh, and have them serve as lower court judges, judges, bringing only the difficult ones to him. Verse 23, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. It sounds like it's supposed to be about teamwork, doing work together with others. And although teamwork is a good lesson to learn anywhere, including the Bible, that's not what really this story is about. That's not what the Bible really is about. The Bible isn't a story about uh, good management. It's not a, a textbook for an MBA, right? Then why is it here? Why is it important that Moses gets organized? Why is it most, is important that Moses doesn't get tired, that he keeps going? The answer is in what Moses is doing. That's why the story is here, because what Moses is doing is so important. Take a look at what Moses does in verse 15. Because people come to me to seek God's will. And I inform them of God's decrees and instructions. You see, Israelites, now having been delivered from Egypt, they want to live God's way. When there is a dispute, they have a question. They're coming to Moses and saying, asking, what, what would God say? How would God resolve this? What is God's teaching on this? He's, Moses is teaching God's decrees and instructions. And Jethro sees that in verse 20. Teach them God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and they are to behave. They are becoming a holy nation, a nation set apart from other, uh, 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 set, set apart from the world, living their life God's way. 
a holy way. They're learning to live as God's people. In fact, that word instruction, decrees and instruction, instruction is, uh, that's used in verse 16 and 20 is actually Torah. Torah, the word that will stand for the Pentateuch. Uh, the word that will stand for all of God's teaching and instructions, the stories of how we are to live. And up to chapter 18, right, this story in Exodus has all about, has been all about God's rescue. But then from 19 and on, in 19, uh, Moses will go up to Mount Sinai. In 20, he will receive the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the book, more or less, is about how God's people are to live and behave as God's people. So more than, more, uh, so more on that in the coming weeks, but the point now is that this isn't a story about management principle. It is about discipleship. It is about why we are rescued. And I wonder how important discipleship is to you. Many Christians are like this. They know the story of Jesus. They know the gospel story, how he died for our sins and he rose again. But then that story ends there. right? Their discipleship ends there. They're none the wiser about how to live as Christians, how to work as Christians, how to raise our children, how to be godly fathers and mothers, what it means for us uh, to be stewards of God's good creation, how to relate to this fallen world and fallen authorities. They're rescued, but they haven't learned what it means to be in God. uh, They haven't learned what it means to live as God's people. I think that might be one of the reasons why so many of second generation Christians leave the church. Because they grow up in the church hearing the story of the gospel over and over again. But actually, they don't know what it means. They don't see the relevance of the story to their life. Their discipleship just is an inch, inch deep. Uh, they, they need to learn what it means to be Christian and how it's relevant for their life, how it affects the rest of the world, what God is doing. We need to learn the Torah. We need to know His instructions, the rest of the story of the Bible. And that's why it's important that Moses gets organized. For us to get organized. Because I can't do this by myself. Uh, Neil and I can't do it. The church can't, a church staff alone can't, cannot do it by ourselves. That's why we have the church committee and links leaders, children's and youth teachers, men's and women's group leaders, those who are trained to do one-to-one, to read the Bible with others. Because teaching God's people His decrees and instructions His stories and his will are too important to be left uh, in the hands of few people. We must do it until the body of Christ. All of us are built up and reach unity in faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So do you seek to live God's way? Are you continuing to learn That way of discipleship, do you teach it to others? And if yes, let's do it together so that we can keep on doing this important work. But you might even ask, going a step even further, ask, why is it that important, why is it important that we live God's way at all? Why is discipleship important? 
You know, I hope that question seems silly to you. Because on the one hand, it's important because we are God's people. Living that way, the way that reflects God's character, um, is what we're created for, what we're, why we're rescued. That is an end in and of itself. As we live the lives that we're meant to live, we glorify God. And we enjoy what it means to be God's people, and we enjoy the way we are supposed to live. That should be an end in and of itself. But there is an important, another reason that's important, uh, uh, important reason behind discipleship. You see, it's not just for us. It's not just for us to enjoy God's blessings. We live this way for those who do not yet know Christ. So they could see They could see God and what it means to live under His rule. You see, one of the reasons for our living God's way is mission. To point people around us to the one true God through our life and through our instructions. You see, that's what Moses was doing. He was their priest, representing God to people. He was that mediator. Right? Moses was living and showing to the new nation what it means to be God's people, who God was through his life and teaching. That's why that job was so important. And what Moses was doing for Israel is supposed to be what Israel is supposed to be doing for the rest of the world. If you flip to next week's reading, Exodus chapter 19 Although the whole earth is mine, God says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The whole nation is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, people who represent God to the rest of the world. They were to teach the world who do not yet know God, who God is. The whole Israel is supposed to do this. And that's why we're rescued, the Christians, as well. Like the Israelites, we have experienced God's rescue, haven't we? Like Israel, we're called to pray for, on behalf of the world. Like the Israelites, we're also called to live differently. Lives that show God's character. Lives that show that God is alive and well here in this world in our lives. And Peter describes the church in the same way. Moses, God describes Israel. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When I lived in London, there was a campaign that was headed up by Richard Dawkins and other atheists, they put up signs on London buses um, and everywhere with this slogan. There is probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. Well, if somebody had read this sign on the side of a London bus, hopefully what they thought was, that can't be true. That cannot be true because I know Kareem. Uh, I know Peter, I know Tat, um, I know these people, I know their lives. And it seems that God is alive and active, that God is making a difference in their life, that there must be God because of the way that God works in the church. 
the way that all the God's people are alive because of God. God must be alive. Our discipleship matters, not just for us, but for the watching world, for the people who don't yet know Christ. So what would your colleagues say about God if they watched how you work? Watched you as a husband and wife, father and mother, son and daughter, students. What would they say about God? Chris Wright writes, We're called to be a living proof, the living proof of the living God. To bring God, to bring God to people and bring people to God. That is our priesthood. That is the part of the mission of God's people. God has rescued his people through Jesus Christ. And all those who turn to him, regardless who they are, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, holiness, status, social status, ethnicity, nationality, are included in God's people. But that doesn't mean that God leaves us alone. That God doesn't leave us alone where we started, whoever we once were. We're no longer that. We are a new people. We're a new people living new way, the way of God. And that's important, not just for us, for us to enjoy God's blessings. That's important because we want to share what we have been blessed with. We want to share with the watching world that God is their God. That they, that they, 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 they should come to know this God and praise Him as we do. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for our rescue. We thank you for the price that you paid, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He lived and died to pay for our sins, that we do not have to be punished. We do not have to face hell and your righteous anger, that he took it upon himself. We thank you for that price. And Lord, we pray, uh, we, we thank you that now all those who turn to your son, can become part of your people. And Lord, we pray for those around us who don't yet know Christ, that they would know you, that they would know your Son and the grace that is there and turn to you. But Lord, we also pray for us that we would live your way. We would live your way, that we would become your people, not just for us, but for those who don't yet know you. Empower us to live differently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, It's the offering time, and if you're visiting us, uh, please do not feel compelled to give anything at all. We're just really glad that you're here with us. This is for the church family. But as we give our offering, we are going to sing a song called We Declare. Uh, And this song starts out, We are His kingdom, we are His bride, we are the church, His people that we ought to live differently uh, because of that. So would you now stand and let's sing together and let's declare who we are.